With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Rising in the rising sun, the land of bamboo, Tengu and Gundam like Yo, can't believe I finally made it, my two re-celebrated golden week, hold it down with my Cho, E-Tanky out of, let's hit your mind and thank you, big smile, I feel good. Yo, minasan, Manga Sensei Podcast, no hey, yo, koso. Hey everybody, welcome to the Manga Sensei Podcast, I'm your host, John Sensei, and today, like, Every day, I'm breaking down the Japanese language and helping you improve your Japanese through grammar podcasts. And today, I'm actually doing an interview, as I do every single Saturday, if you're familiar with this podcast, with people that are Japanese influencers, people who use Japanese in their job, or people that are pushing for Japanese education. And today, I'm actually interviewing a good friend of mine. Well, I interviewed a good friend of mine who runs a Japanese or language podcast. You may be familiar with this podcast, the uh, the Language Mastery Podcast. He also has a website, a whole bunch of really interesting tools. His name is John Fotheringham, and he's probably the most famous Japanese or language period masters. He has podcasts that talk in-depth about how to improve your Japanese, how to learn Japanese. He's been on Business Insider, um, Hacking Japanese, Fluent You, everything from Grammar Guy to, not Grammar Guy, um, the Get It Done Guy to three, uh, Fluent Three Months with that dude, Jimmy. And so he's pretty dang awesome. He knows a lot more about Japanese language than I do. So I was, I tried to come up with a whole bunch of good questions that I would ask him if I had the opportunity and emailed him. He luckily emailed back. So I want to go over my questions and his responses and talk a little bit more in depth about those. Again, if you haven't connected about with main language mastery, I'll put the information down in the show notes so you can check it out as well. With that, let's get started. I asked him seven questions and he gave me back seven answers. So I'm really happy. So let's go into the first question. The first question I asked him was, what do you do and think language learners cross the line between a tool or a dictionary mnemonic system as a tool or a crutch? Let me, let me rephrase that for you a little bit. When do language learners cross the line with like a tool, like a grammar dictionary or a dictionary or like mnemonic devices? And when does that tool turn into a crutch? And he said, and I will quote him, Mnemonic systems are by, defini by definition temporary crutches, and their need will naturally fall away once a given word, structure, etc. has been committed to long-term memory and the mnemonic is no longer needed. But I think such tools are useful shortcuts to recall vocabulary in the meantime. And I agree with this. I think it's very good to have these mnemonic or language systems. A good example of this is how I learned the word tsetsuritsusuru, which means to establish. Setsuritsusuru sounds to me, and how I learned it was the sound from Wizard of Oz when the Wicked Witch comes on, establishing her evil. I don't know why that made sense to me at the time. Setsuritsuru, setsuritsuru was the mnemonic device that I gave myself. And for a long time, I used that to remember the word to establish. However, over time, I was able to take that word and then memorize the word, and then from there I had to let go of that crutch. Trying to put down too many mnemonic devices, I think, can be actually very dangerous for your language learning, because you rely too much on the devices and not much on your own ability to actually learn something. 
And then you have to memorize extra stuff, if that makes sense. The second question I asked John was, what is your option of Japanese textbooks like Genki, Yokoso, and Japanese from Zero? Now, anyone who's listened to this podcast for any amount of time know that I think Genki is stupid, that Yokoso should be sayonara, and Japanese from Zero should just stay at zero and never graduate to anything from there. However, I wanted to ask John this, John Fotheringham, because he's, he's a smarter guy than I am, and maybe I'm just a little too biased. But he said this, in general, I'm not a big fan of textbooks. I usually find them boring, stilted, and artificial. Yes, yes, and yes. That's me. Yes, yes, and yes. But, he says, that's me, and I do acknowledge that some people do find them helpful. It's important to each person to be honest with themselves about what works and what doesn't, and not force them through materials they hate, nor avoid materials they might actually like because some blogger or author happens to like not to like them. And I think that's true. Now, if you follow my methods at all using the Japanese 30-day challenge, or if you're trying to learn Japanese by using our online grammar dictionary, or even if you're interested in the current Kickstarter that we're doing, I think it's really, really good to have those tools, um, including textbooks. I personally don't like textbooks, but I don't want that to stop you if that's how you learn. So I think he's right there, and that is where John is not definitely smarter than I am. Um, I think this also carries on the note that sometimes we have to go after something even opposed to some people's recommendations. Um, I've gone through a lot of language learners and a lot of them tried to learn Japanese many different ways. Initially when I wanted to do this program, I wanted to teach Japanese through manga and anime. Unfortunately, that wasn't really an option when I ran into some licensing issues. However, I think some people try to focus so much on anime or learning a certain method that they tr they sometimes... Um, go around the method that would actually be most useful for them. On to question three. And I will put all these questions down below in the show notes as well, just so you have them. I asked, what role do you think mistake-making plays in Japanese language learning? Now, this is something I ask all my interviewees on this podcast because I want people to actually make mistakes in Japanese. And I think John has a great answer to that. Making mistakes are not just inevitable are not just an inevitable part of the language learning journey. They are the language learning journey. I am going to pause his his uh, his quote there. I can't. I don't think that could be any more true. I think that's a probably better way of putting it than I've been putting it. But I think it's really quite true when we think about what we're doing with Japanese. I think often we think that it's simply getting something right. In fact, when in fact it's making the mistakes to become better at the language. He continues, if you don't make mistakes, that means you are not you are not, not stepping outside of your comfort zone, which means you're not growing, you're not learning. While adult language learners actually have many advantages over children, this is the one area where kiddos tend to excel over the adults. They aren't afraid to try things out and make mistakes. They are not concerned with losing face or looking stupid. And that's inevitably true. I think what my big goal is on this podcast, if I convince anybody of anything, is I want them to make mistakes. That's why every single episode I tell them to make 10,000 mistakes. Get these mistakes out of the way. Look dumb. Be stupid. Try something out. Now, don't be like Logan Paul stupid in Japan, but do make mistakes. Try some things out. I, I, I really like John's response to that. That it is the language journey. I think I might actually steal that, John. Thanks. Number four. What about Japanese have you found interesting lately? 
I think when people study Japanese personally, this is again me speaking, I'll make sure to clarify who's putting the information in here, is that when we do such things like this, we we tend to get so involved in what we're doing so we can sometimes lose the reason why we did it in the first place. And I think he makes a very good point about this. I haven't been, he says, I haven't been actively studying or using Japanese much lately, but I did have the opportunity to officiate my younger brother's wedding this last summer. His bride was Japanese, so they asked me to do the ceremony bilingually for the sake of her parents and family. As part of the ceremony, we paid homage to the red string of fate concept, or in Japanese you may know as unmei no akai ito, which I had actually not heard of before. Apparently, and you may have, if you read seen Kimi no Nawa, they actually had that red string there. It is believed by some in Japan, China, other East Asian countries, that the red thread of fate binds soulmates together who are destined to later meet each other. To symbolize their meeting, we, they, we literally tied a red string around each of their little fingers, binding them together in matrimony. It was still a very profound ritual, he says. I think this is very sweet. Um, again, I mentioned uh, looking at Kimi, Kimi no Nawa, which I really love because it's in one of my favorite areas of Japan. Even though it's fake, it, it's just very it's very close to Hita Takayama, which I very much love if you've heard this podcast at all. Um, I think that's very, very interesting. You have to keep finding these things that you love about Japan, that you like about Japan, and how to keep progressing in your love for this wonderful language and culture. Next question. We're just going to keep pressing on here. Number five. The, fo the Japanese tend to focus a lot on speed reading as of late. Do you think those are skills useful to learning another language? And if so, at what if so, at what point? And the reason I brought this up is because my good friend Toru Fukuyama, who I had on this podcast a couple months ago, he's a speed reading expert, and he actually helps Japanese people improve their speed reading, and he also helps Americans learn and program themselves to absorb more Japanese vocabulary words in a shorter period of time. And he says, John, to this, I think speaking is helpful once it has reached an advanced level of reading comprehension, but I think the focus should be on comprehension, not speed, in earlier stages of learning. I would actually disagree with John on this point. Um, I think John's a very, very smart guy. He's smarter than I am, but I do think that he hasn't obviously listened to Toru Fukuyama's and I's in my interview. If you haven't checked that out yet, I recommend go looking it up. I'll put that as well in the show notes so you can check out how speed reading tools can actually help you improve your Japanese. Okay, next one. I said, and this one was I always ask people, if suddenly, poof, you forgot all the Japanese you knew and how to start over, but you retained all the knowledge about how to learn a language, how would you relearn Japanese? And I think he gave a great answer to this. You're going to want to write this down. He said, I would spend as much time as possible in Japanese. Instead of spending time learning about Japanese and English, this is a big mistake that many language learners make, including my earlier self, he says, I would start speaking with native speakers immediately. Even if I could only utter a few words, I could start reading fun stories. I engage in deliberate practice, hyper-focus on a few words or structures at a time, drilling them hard and getting immediate feedback from a native speaker or tutor. I think this is a great way of doing things. When I was first in Japan, this was what actually helped me first start letting my Japanese take off. I would basically take this, 
I would choose a grammar point from a book that I had. It was a the Japan, Japanese Times Beginner Japanese Dictionary, which is now majoritively we have covered most of the grammar points on our grammar our grammar tool, and then I would try to talk to a Japanese person that day using that grammar pattern and try to drill myself with. So I think this is great advice. Um, I really think you should follow. If I were to write a book about how to learn Japanese, that would be chapter two. Chapter one would be you already suck and you're gonna look dumb anyway, so might as well try, right? Make mistakes, basically. Okay, and then my last question. I said, in language learning, do you believe in maximizing strengths, like exclusively speaking or reading, or making sure you have a solid, well-rounded base in learning? If so, please elaborate. He says this. It completely depends on one's goal. If someone simply wants to travel around Japan, then focusing on speaking and some passive recognition of common kanji is sufficient. But if someone wants to work in Japan, be a translator, or engage in Japanese literature, then they'll of course need to have a balance of all four language skills. All that said, I always recommend focusing on language input and output on the following hierarchy. Listening first, speaking, reading, and writing. Writing going last. Um, for those who want to dive more into this podcast and connect with John Fotherson, then you can go of course check out his website, which I'll put in the show notes as well. And if you would like to read this interview and all the questions that I asked, you can find it at our website, manga-sensei.com. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast today. I know it's kind of a little bit different of a system, but I'm happy you joined in. And thank you so much. Until tomorrow, hope you make some mistakes and... Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.